0: Jam Journals is a proud partner of Yesterday's Concert Podcast, and member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. I could see the whites of the driver's eyes as he screamed at me from his vehicle. He ripped his right hand from the steering wheel and pointed at me. spit flew from his mouth as he shouted. I could feel the wrath of his inaudible words. Was his blood destined to be on my hands? Cruising at more than 70 miles per hour, Our fate was too late to prevent. My body slammed into the driver's side door as our two vehicles shared pain. His charcoal, mine black. I leaned into my door and swung the steering wheel to course correct. Like a rope snapped into motion, my wheel spurred in retaliation and skidded to grip the road. Screeching, screaming, sweating. I was going to die. No longer sharing the left lane with this innocent bystander, my vehicle had a mind of its own. My tires flailed from the quick adjustments. I'd lost control of a two-ton death cage. Force was the only thing that could stop us now. My windshield went from golden hour sunset to gray, combing death. I was headed straight for the concrete barriers beneath the overpass. The vehicle was no longer headed west, but towards the second collision, a fatal one. I witnessed it all unfold in slow motion. I was moving in unconscious rhythms. There was no time to think. Yet every second was belabored with awareness. Even in the hysteria, I knew better than to slam on my brakes. Instead, I lifted my right foot from the gas and let destiny play its song. We had a good run. Let's pack it up. This is out of my hands now. With each millisecond, the concrete barrier inched closer and closer. The weathered stains of its existence were soon to be covered in wiper fluid and blood. My hood ornament would adorn the side as my burial. People would drive by and say, a music fan died doing what he loved here. Like a lightning strike, it was over. As quickly as I'd watched it unfold, the end was here. My vehicle came to a grinding halt and my tires skidded no more. Time snapped back and reality came crashing down. This was my curtain call. Welcome concert goers, music fanatics, and pretty hate machines. My name is Lance Ingram, and in this episode of Jam Journals, we open up the pages to September 24th, 2018. Grab your earplugs as we go to the Orpheum Theater in Memphis, Tennessee for 9-inch nails. A surging river of chaos flushed over me. I stared out the windshield, still breathing, still alive. Cars was by me on the interstate, no one stopping to confirm my fate. Only curious onlookers slowed enough to see the misery in my eyes. As I stepped out of my vehicle to assess the damage, I watched the car that caused this whole vehicle drive into the sunset. Their tag read like hieroglyphics, there would be no point in even trying to remember the sequence. Ahead of me, a car pulled into the median. Their brake lights illuminated the yellow and purple skies. A large guy with black hair and a black shirt emerged. His shoulders puffed and his face filled with rage. That was my victim. The man that I almost sent to an early grave. I didn't want to give him a second to act. Are you okay, man? I'm so sorry, that guy cut me off. Not right now, he interjected. I've already called the police. I need to call my insurance. Who's your carrier? We stood at the trunk of the vehicle exchanging information. When he finally got his information in order, I tried again. Hey man, seriously, are you okay? You're not hurt, are you? No, I'm fine. I'm just glad this wasn't worse than it was. I tried to explain to him what happened. I tried to tell him about the old minivan that was halfway up the on-ramp when it changed its mind, how it crossed the threshold and nearly slammed into my vehicle. In a reactive move, I swerved into the left lane, his lane, to avoid the collision. He was in my blind spot and sped up to miss me. I know, I saw it happen too. He definitely cut you off. The tension began to melt. For the first time since our impromptu meeting, I didn't think this guy wanted to kill me. Had this been a rom-com, I believe they would have called this our meat cute But our story was a little different. It went from first-degree manslaughter to drive-time accident. No one was hurt, we both had insurance, and I'd be the one paying for it. You headed to the show too? I asked. Something about his parents gave it away. Yeah, man, he said. His curtain has told me to chill out. Even if we had been amicable, we weren't friends. When the police finally arrived, they surveyed the situation, took down some info, and got our story, which was exactly the same. I'd been cut off and swerved into his lane to avoid a massive pileup. They pulled the other driver aside spoke to him in soft tones and handed him a sheet of paper and told him to be on his way. Enjoy the show! I shouted as he walked back to his car. What a doofus. The police approached and handed me a booklet and a pen. The top of the ticket read, City of Memphis, Citation Report. Wait, what is this? I asked. Since we've deemed the responsibility of the incident as yours, we're issuing you a citation for reckless driving, as well as driving with an expired tag. What do you mean it was my responsibility? I was cut off. This was a reactionary incident. It wasn't my fault. I was trying to do the responsible thing here. In the state of Tennessee, anytime there's an accident, whoever is at fault is cited, And based on the information you both gave, you are the responsible party. It sounds like you were tailing too closely to the vehicle that left the on-ramp or else they would've had plenty of room to rejoin. Bro, what the f- I argued with the officer. I reiterated the story and pushed for a verbal confrontation. Sir, I'm going to need you to calm down or I'll be forced to take this matter in a different direction. I could tell the next words I chose would leave me with more than a bruised vehicle and roadside citation. Well, I hope you have a good night, I said walking back to my car. Anger overwhelmed me as I climbed back into the vehicle. I muttered under my breath, eyed the officer and mentally flipped off the van that forced this whole situation. But I wasn't ready for the fear. As I turned on my vehicle, I was reminded... I have to drive again. I had to return to rush hour traffic and avoid the entire situation all over again. Cars flew past me at what seemed like light speed. My vehicle shook like an earthquake as a big rig pummeled by. My muscles tensed with each passing vehicle. After finally merging into traffic, I was the slowpoke in the right lane that everybody hated. Now that the adrenaline had worn off, the reality was settling in. I was no longer the indestructible teenager years later when i told someone the story they asked me yeah but what song were you listening to when the wreck happened what a profound question exit music for a life surely on my deathbed it'd be the song i'd want to revisit over and over but in the moment of driving there was no music silence reigned in fear and desperation i questioned if i should call it a night the trauma had me spiraling There'd be other concerts. Should I just go home? I peered in the rearview mirror and dreamt of the safety of climbing into my couch amid a deep throw of blankets. A sweet lady in her seventies took my ticket, clicked on the flashlight and led me down the mezzanine stairs to C. She counted the chairs with her flashlight and with a smile wiggled the flashlight on my seat. Rock and roll would save my mortal soul. The opening act, a band called Tobacco was wrapping up their set. I tried to focus on the performance, but my mind was in a different place, a different planet for that matter. Excuse me. Hey, excuse me. Sir, excuse me. I'm not sure how long I'd been zoned out before my neighbor snapped me back. The stage was empty, the house lights were on and a female fan stood above me. Her glare ensured I'd feel every bit of her frustration. I apologized softly and shifted my knees so that she could exit the row. I'm sorry about that. Are you all right, sweetie? The petite hand of my neighbor rested on my forearm. Her large brown eyes shared a motherly concern. Oh yeah, I'm good. Just pray for nine-inch nails. I replied. Even I didn't believe that one. Neighbors around me excitedly talked about seeing their favorite band. I stared at the stage, oblivious to existence. Was I alive right now? Was Heaven a Nine Inch Nails concert? Even if I had made it, did I deserve to be here? Surely there's a quorum from past behaviors to justify my early exit. What if I was supposed to die in that crash, but somehow I cheated death? Was my life the plot for Final Destination 17? Spiraling into my own pit of despair, nothing about life felt worthwhile anymore. I didn't deserve to survive that crash. I didn't deserve to make it tonight. All these fans around me, They were the real fans. It's like I was visiting the zoo. I was just there on observationalism, after all. Acquiring this ticket wasn't your normal ticket buying experience. At least not one from the last two decades. In an effort to curb ticket scalping, all tickets for Nine Inch Nails Cold and Black and Infinite Tour were exclusively sold in person. That meant to buy tickets, patrons had to line up just like the good old days. Fans were required to walk 25 miles uphill both ways while braving rain, snow, and heat. The band decided to forego the traditional online route that inevitably ends up with an instant sellout and legions of pissed off fans. Instead, they told fans that if they wanted a ticket, they'd have to crawl out of their hole, get in the sunlight, and wait at the venue. So the people in the room, these were the real Nine Inch Nails fans. They put in the blood and sweat to purchase these tickets. Hashtag real fans only. I had done none of that. I had an important thing to attend to the day of the ticket drop, namely my wife graduating from grad school, so I didn't brave the elements like the other dedicated patrons. Instead, I held out and purchased my seat through an online ticket drop. The complete opposite of these dedicated fans. And to make matters worse, I wasn't really even a fan of the band. These weren't my guys. Ever since I became a fan of music, it's always been Oh man, Nine Inch Nails is one of the greatest bands out there. Dude, you gotta see Nine Inch Nails in concert, nothing like it. This was a musical zoo, and I was there to see Trent Reznor in the monkey exhibit. Compounding my survivor's guilt, I didn't deserve this seat. Yanked from the clutches of an actual fan, I was here on assignment. Maybe the accident was my karma. Maybe that swift brush with death was the universe's punishment. Poor Damien sitting at home listening to the downward spiral on his cassette that he bought in high school. He painted black teardrops on his face because a true goth can only cry black tears. Most nights, Damien cried because he was the black sheep of existence. But tonight, he cried because some jackwagon with a podcast stole his seat. I could see it now. Damien reached for his voodoo doll and put it inside his daughter's Barbie car. Pushing the car down the hallway, Piggy blared on his speakers. He grinned as his master plan revealed itself. One final thump of the bumper, and the car spins wildly and heads towards the wall. His laugh fills the home. Damien, what are you doing? Your daughter is trying to sleep in the other room. His wife yells at him. He shows his teeth through a twisted smile. The black tears have smudged and run down his cheeks. He growls. Revenge. Plunged into darkness, the room was a goth sweat dream. The sounds of metallic nightmares oozed from the speakers. A pair of strobe lights flickered with a blinding reach. The metallic pulses intensified and were accompanied by percussion. The noise grated like a factory come to life. A new slam of percussion pulsated through the noise. The crowd closest to the stage erupted. They threw up devil horns and screamed. Those of us a little further back cheered on context clues. Our vision was choked out by the smoke and blinding lights. In the cadence of this newly introduced rhythm, the strobe lights dropped and a pair of orange lights flashed on both sides of the stage. Silhouettes outlined against the murky backdrop emerged. This was unlike any other concert experience. This was a ritualistic celebration. A sacrifice to the gods. Not escapism. The crowd cheered wildly as the other silhouettes joined the rhythmic slamming. Another figure slid to the front of the stage. His head didn't with The alpha alien. He grabbed the microphone with his right hand and held it as if he was choking the life out of it. This was not the person to mess with. What little I knew of Nine Inch Nails, I assumed their ringleader was a Jack White type. You know, one of those no phones during the show type. I feared for the documentarians filming the entire show thus far Revolution would not be televised. Even from my seat in the balcony, I wasn't willing to test this guy's limits. He lowered into a powered stance and growled the words to metal by Gary Newman. The crowd fist pumped and high-fived. When he finished the first verse, the singer released his death grip on the microphone and his body collapsed. Hunched over, his appendages dangled. He deflated and rose again. It was rhythmic. The beast was preparing to attack. As the music intensified, his wingspan grew. He lurched from defender to predator.
1: Hey, hey.
0: he screamed to the microphone. It was the first time the words were audible above the bass. Not the bass guitar or even the bass drums, just the bass. It undoubtedly rattled the foundation. I worried about the structural integrity of the balcony. Surely a few bolts were being loosened. Purple hues illuminated the back of the stage. A glow cast over the audience as a catchy rap echoed from the drum kit. Overhead, green beams descended on the stage. The silhouettes were seen in their human form for the first time. The singer and ringleader, Trent Reznor, taunted them as he danced around the stage. He slid between the beams and eased back to the microphone. The song was me, I'm not. I actually knew this one. My limited fandom of this band was finding its place. Despite months of covering their discography like it was homework, I still felt like I was an outlier. This was the one that instantly caught me. The groove was insatiable. The melody sank its alien hook in me and the earworm buried in my brain. For the first time that night, I was no longer thinking about the accident. Escapism took hold and the survivor's guilt offered a reprieve. I hadn't stolen someone's seat. I knew this song. I loved this song. It was the first time since buying the seat that I felt even remotely worthy to be in the room. Whether it's your favorite band or an unfamiliar one, this is the driving emotion behind concerts. To connect with something larger than yourself. To find a release from the literal and metaphorical car crashes of life. My wreck wasn't a missed opportunity by death. It was a reminder of the futility of life. Carpe Diem. As me, I'm not finished and the band slipped into Wish, the fog settled and the silhouettes became a little clearer. They all wore black, head to toe. The frontman stepped to the microphone and started to clap his hands over his head. Hey, 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 hey. He screamed in unison with the rhythm. My perception of Nine Inch Nails has always been the 90s goth band. They wrote creepy songs for creepy times and creepy people. I know there were plenty of artists that created more vulgar and menacing art, but Nine Inch Nails was always a mile marker for quote-unquote accessible goth. The downward spiral is an absolute masterpiece, but until that concert, I always saw it as a surface-level entrance into depression for teens. It was something teens could easily latch onto for the unexplainable roller coaster they rode. But as I surveyed the audience, which was mostly dudes in their 40s, the music was still a safety net for these fans. But this wasn't the melodramatic concert I expected. From what I've read and seen of frontman Trent Reznor in interviews and public appearances, he's a brooding guy, someone who doesn't seem keen on smiling, laughter, flowers and rainbows. I assumed his concerts were a reflection of that attitude. But thus far, this was more akin to the arena rock show than a moody singer songwriter. Come on, Come on Memphis, Trent yelled. Get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. The drums fired like a machine gun as Reznor ran to the microphone to spur the crowd into a frenzy. With both hands gripping the stand, he leaned over the crowd as he screamed. The band started March of the Pigs, and Reznor seemed to lose control. He was a crazed man. His silhouette ghosted between the fog and the flashing lights. Step right up. March. Push. Call right up on your knees. Please greet, feed. Lights flashed in syncopation with the drums. The bass bypassed my sternum and tore right through my organs. The crowd clapped along like happy school children. I pushed my earplugs in a little deeper to level out the volumes. Somehow Nine Inch Nails is an antithesis of stadium rock, yet they fall into many of the tropes that move rock bands into stadiums. Granted this was a theater and nothing about these songs even slightly resembled feel like making love, but the crowd responded as such experiencing my newfound gratefulness to be alive. I was also thrilled to see their craft in person. Like all good bands, I wondered what it was like to see them in their heyday, to see them covered in mud at Woodstock, to see them on the Fragility Tour. Nine Inch Nails holds a weird memory blank in my formative years. I knew of their existence, I'd heard about their live shows, but I don't remember their mainstream crossover. They're a huge band. Like so many 90s acts, their angst was right up my alley. Maybe it wasn't heavy enough on the crunchy distortion. Maybe it was a little too synthy or emotionally in touch. I don't know. But I have no memory of them being on the radio. The only song I ever remember my peers mentioning was Closer. And well, that was for some mildly obscene lyrics. (laughs) The song clamors to a complete stop and the stage goes black. From the darkness, the singer's voice boomed. Yeah, we're glad to be here. We're gonna change the mood a little bit. Hope that's okay. As the stage cast a blue hue, I watched the relentlessly energetic frontman run to the microphone with a guitar strapped over his shoulder. You're keeping in step, in the line, got your chin held high, and you're feeling just fine. Pings of nostalgia rushed over me. I wasn't sure where this was coming from. Although I tried to be thorough in my Nine Inch Nails crash course, I don't remember an emotional connection to the song. But as the song hit the chorus, I realized that I knew this song from Modern Rock Radio Station in high school. Yet in all my memory black holes, Nine Inch Nails were more present than I realized. They'd been a posturing band that dictated a coolness that I'd never been a part of. They were a band that golf kids were hip to and that I never gave a chance because they wore too much black. I mean, I wore black, but they wore too much black. This was a highly important band. They may not have had the mainstream success Pearl Jam or even Slipknot had, but they were integral to the 90s and early alt rock scene. Yet, I'm seeing them in a 2,500-person theater. Sure, they were maybe a decade or more removed from their place of relevance, but this was a sharp band. Not only was Trent an excellent frontman, but he's an underrated rock vocalist. He could do it all. The emotion and the bravado. To close the show, I figured they'd do one of their two big hits that everyone knew. Closer or Hurt. Personally, I was hoping for Closer, just because I'm a teenage boy at heart. Heavy winds blew from the speakers as the darkness was erased with a single spotlight. It was then accompanied by the sparse intro of Hurt. The stage was no longer overwhelmed by smoke and strobe lights. It was simplistic. I could see our front man clearly. No booming bass or organ tearing decibels. I removed my earplugs to take in the acoustics. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. The song was triumphant and worthy of closing the show. The crowd was rapturous. I know it's a popular song that has a deep meaning for many fans, but it was still odd seeing the crowd losing their minds for such a depressing song. I mean, I get why they're into it. It's a great song, but again, this wasn't feel like making love. Like an aging actor, a touch of gray lined my driver's side door. I stood in the parking garage staring at it. You big dummy. I said aloud, I kneeled down and ran my fingers across the vehicle to feel the depth of my new scars. It wasn't as bad as I remembered. Then again, it was also much darker outside. Sitting in the driver's seat again after the show was an eerie sensation. Last time I sat here, I faced death head on. Now I had to get home somehow and this parking garage charged by the hour. Once I got safely home, I lay in bed and watched the ceiling fan twirl. My adrenaline still gushed and withheld sleep. The evening was still decompressing. I had danced with death and been in a car accident. I thought back to the show when Trent had introduced a cover of David Bowie's I'm Afraid of Americans. With a little extra banter. We're going to play a song written by a dear friend. We had the privilege of working with, touring with, and performing this song with him. It's kind of (laughs) up to play it. But it's a great song. This is by David Bowie. The ceiling fan swirled, creaked, and danced in the shadows. Trent's words echoed. It was a reminder of why I still attended the show. Rather than going home and relinquishing my fears, I chose to pursue gratitude and opportunity. I don't know how many more chances are left to see this band. They're not young 20-somethings anymore. After the string of deaths from Bowie, BB King, and so many other missed artists, I couldn't risk this chance. For Bowie... I regretted never having the opportunity. For BB King, I regretted skipping so many opportunities. I couldn't let another artist slip through the cracks. Despite the unfortunate events, that day was still quite special. The clock never stopped ticking, which meant I never stopped breathing. The guilt of my fandom subsided and the value of the evening settled in. Despite the sadness of Nine Inch Nails' music, I walked away feeling like I'd attended a feel like making love Stadium Rock Show That's a pretty great feeling to be alive. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Jam Journals and reliving one of my favorite concert memories. Have you seen the artist before? How was your experience? Similar? Better? Worse? Let us know on social media, at Yesterday's Concert. We're on all the channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and even TikTok. Give us a shout or shoot us an email at info at yesterdaysconcert.com. Until next time, give us a review on Apple Podcasts and check us out at yesterdaysconcert.com. And don't forget, take care of your shoes.